most of uh, David's young adult life, he was on the run from Saul to have peace for himself because he was a sought-after man. His head, his life was marked. He sought to have peace for himself, his family, his, his gathering men who followed him. He lived behind enemy lines. He moved himself into Philistine territory so that he might be granted amnesty to settle in a city and to have freedom to do pursuits. Towards the end of his exile, Saul led Saul, his enemy, David's enemy, led an army out to meet the Philistines. And this put David in a very precarious place. On the one hand, he needed to show loyalty to his his uh, protectors, the Philistines, because they had relieved the pressure from him from his enemy. And on the other hand, if he went out to war against Saul and against Israel, it would ruin any possibility for him to lead Israel in the future. Nevertheless, David went out to battle, and he was in the back areas, and the other Philistine leaders saw what was happening, and they decided, this isn't going to work. And they said to uh, the, uh, the Lord, Philistine Lord, who was granting protection to David, said, you've got to send him back. You can't have him up here with us. Send him back. And uh, so he went back, but on his way back, even before they arrived at Ziklag, where his family had been, there was a column of smoke rising. At the time of his return, before his return, the Amalekites had come in and had raided, they had burned down Ziklag, and all the women and the children were taken hostage. You might find it remarkable to realize that Ziklag was in the southern part of modern Israel, about five miles from Ophakim. Ophakim, if you look at that map, is a blotch of red where 60, 60 Israelis were killed just recently on October 7th. And upon arrival, David and his men saw the charred remains of the city, and the Scripture says, then David and the people that were with him raised their voices and they wept until they had no more strength to weep. I think our hearts go out to those who are in Israel right now as they've suffered significant losses that we, we, we probably hardly can identify with, but we still want to recognize their suffering. I want to also note that just because a person is born again and even devoted themselves to the service of the true and living God like David did, like Moses did, it does not exempt us from the possibility that we also may suffer, that we may become discouraged, even depressed in our own spirit. And I want to note that depression in itself is not sin. Depression may put us on a threshold where we may commit sin, but in and of itself, it's not sin. Sins can certainly intensify during those periods of, of, of despair, but we need to know that we're not alone when those things occur. Historical people like Martin Luther, John Newton, 
William Coper, Charles Spurgeon, other men who loved the Lord and were dedicated to Him experienced these times and periods. And throughout the biblical storyline, people like Elijah, people like David, people like Job, and I would say even the Lord Jesus Christ experienced this in the Garden of Gethsemane, intense despair. Sometimes, though, we fall into states of depression, and we become discouraged because we have unfulfilled expectations. There are times when we expect something to occur, and when it doesn't occur the way that we think it ought to occur, we get downhearted and fall into despair. And Moses is very vulnerable, just like David was vulnerable. Moses was vulnerable to falling into depression here because he was discouraged because there were unfulfilled expectations. He, in his own mind, had such an optimistic view now of walking into Pharaoh's courtroom and Pharaoh saying, okay, here are the keys, just come back when you're, when you're ready. That's didn't, that wasn't the way it worked. A few years ago, I gave a message that uh, was quite, uh, I thought it was quite generous in, as I was teaching, and, and someone who was listening to the sermon uh, actually had within them a little bit of a hard heart, and they misinterpreted what I said. Uh, uh, just as a Moses, when he was on the mountain, he had actually heard that it wouldn't be easy, but for some reason, because he was hardening his heart, he didn't he wasn't holding on to that, and he had mis, misunderstood what God had wanted to, was, going, was going to happen. And I was just, just thinking about this, how easy it is if we don't have a soft and ready-to-receive heart from the Lord, there's a possibility that we can become hardened in our hearts and, and misunderstand what God says or what other people say. Just as an example, uh, like I said, a few years ago, there was someone in our congregation who was developing a hard heart. And I was speaking on the, on the need to be giving, and I took the time to think through the various kinds of ways that the people of Israel gave in their system of, they had giving for the poor that was required for them, they, they were required to give to the temple, they were also required to give a tithe, and between all of that, I thought probably close to 23, maybe 24% of their income was being given to the Lord. And I had said very clearly in that sermon that that's not the expectation for today. But then it came back to me that they were out in the community saying, Pastor Banks said that we should be giving 23% of our income. (laughs) And I had very clearly said in that sermon that All that's required for us today is to give generously, to give sacrificially, and to do so cheerfully. But because sometimes when our heart gets hard, we don't always hear the things that we need to hear to make sense of what's going to happen in the future. There are times Moses had what he needed at the mountain. God had told him, Moses, it's not going to be a cakewalk. The people are going to believe you, but Pharaoh himself is not going to believe you. Somewhere he missed that. And I do believe it was because he was hardening his heart at the time. And I do want to say very carefully that it is difficult to hear. It's difficult to remember the words of the Lord. 
It is hard to recite memory verses if our hearts are becoming hardened, and then we can fall into despair. Psalm 119.28 says, My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. And it is the word that we need in those moments. And it can seem so far away, and there's so much that we could do to assist ourselves in advance before we fall into places of despair. I want to look at this uh, text, and I want to walk through this, and I want to show you some of the reactions to God's Word and the reaction of Pharaoh to divide the people. And I, and I, want, to, I want us to come away from this also. I want us to be encouraged that even though we may at times forget God's Word, God nevertheless does not forget His own Word, and He is always faithful no matter where we are. So, uh, so in verses 1 through 9, I want us to see the defiant resistance to the Lord's Word uh, by Pharaoh in the courtroom. In verses 1 through 9, in particular verse 1, we have those famous words where Moses and Aaron walk into the courtroom and say, let my people go. And that has a very prophetic sound to it, doesn't it? When you hear it prefaced with, thus says the Lord. Those who have been attuned and trained, and we've listened to the Word of God read in the Old Testament, when we hear the word, thus saith the Lord, our ears tend to perk up. Here, Pharaoh doesn't have the same reaction. Uh, there's, it falls flat, if you will, and there's not a, a reaction really at all. No impact. And I do see that we're living in a world in which there's a very similar reaction when someone steps forward in the public square and says, thus says the Lord. There it falls flat, and even there is the attitude of Pharaoh that you hear in the response. There is a strong resistance to, why should we listen to that voice? Just as you hear from Pharaoh. And trends in America are such that we are increasing towards secularization. Uh, those who have studied this in greater depth than myself have noted that after World War II, Europe and Canada dropped off very fast. The anomaly to was the America. Through the 50s and the 60s, America looked like it was going to defy the odds of the other Western nations. But unfortunately, it seems as though in the last 10 years we've really picked up pace. And uh, I would say that Americans are not quite pagan yet. We're semi-pagan. We're semi-pagan. We're spiritual. We have a sensitivity to, to, to spiritual ideas but we would say we're not very religious as, as people, and that's really where we need to exist right now. We need, it's, it's not where we need to exist, it's just the way it is. It doesn't mean that the future will not ever reverse, and I don't want to give you that wrong impression. We could reverse, and there could be a tremendous outpouring of the Holy Spirit in such a way that it defies everything that we would expect. But we need to understand where we're living in so that we're, we have a realistic view we live, in a, we live in a day in which we are post-Obergefell. 
That was the Supreme Court ruling that legalized homosexual marriage. We live in a very different age now because of that ruling. We give thanks that there was an overturn of Roe v. Wade, and we worked very hard to reverse that. But we live in a very different culture right now, and it means that we need to think through how we are engaging. Does this mean that we change our approach with the world? It means yes and no. We need to have wisdom to understand the time in which we're living, but we need to double down upon thus saith the Lord. We need to understand who is listening to us, but we also need to increase our courage and say, thus says the Lord, and let that lay where it needs to lay. I know that it's difficult, but we need to understand that unbelievers will resist our God because they do not know Him. They don't know Him like we know Him. In verses 1 through 3, you see that reaction. Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? I do not know Him. Now, that word know does not mean that he had never heard the name of Yahweh before, although I would say that that was probably true because Pharaoh, excuse me, Moses had just learned of the proper name of God. But I would say that this, this word know has the idea, because in the language it has the idea of intimacy, of relational knowledge. And he's basically saying, I reject the authority because I don't really have a relationship with him like you do. And where there is no relationship, there is no authority. Let's think about relationship and knowing for just a moment. Moses and Aaron explain that the God of the Hebrews has met with them. That's what he says in verse 3. And Moses shares a very personal requirement that, is, that Israel needs to leave and go out. This is what Moses had received on, on the mountain, the instructions that he was supposed to deliver. And please notice what Moses says in verse 3. Look at this in verse 3. It says, Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest He fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. If you compare what Moses heard in the mountain in chapter 3, Moses adds in this subtle detail, lest He fall upon us with pestilence and with the sword. That wasn't part of the original communication that he was to deliver. That, though, was a personal awareness that was given to Moses because he himself had experienced resistance to the Lord. He knew God in such a way as one who had hardened his heart and gave, was giving recognition, Pharaoh, I know God in a way that you don't know God. He's going to hurt you. He's going to hurt us if we don't follow through and obey. I believe that Moses here is articulating he has known God in this way, and he has also known God to be merciful. God was merciful. In that in, Moses was resisting, and 
he requested his wife to perform a circumcision on their newborn boy so that the terror of the moment would lift, he understood that he was supposed to have been fully devoted to the Lord, but yet God in His mercy withheld His wrath and was satisfied. Moses here is understanding something that Pharaoh doesn't, and I would say that the chastening hand of the Lord is something that those who have walked with the Lord many years know. You know that in such ways that younger followers of Christ don't know that. And I would say you've experienced the chastening hand of the Lord, you've also experienced His mercy as well. Uh, You know, when a child is suffering from a severe cold and a runny nose, and they've got aches and pains, as a parent, you know, all you can do is not but hold them. Because you have, you see within their suffering, your, your, your mercy is called out of you, and you want to just, you want to hold on to them. So, when God allows us to suffer, we also see that in the process of our suffering, our Savior wants to extend mercy to us as well. He wants us to return. See, misery calls forth mercy from a parent. How much more would that be true of our Heavenly Father? So, Moses knows that this is to be true of both of, 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 of Pharaoh. He knows this to be true of Yahweh, and he knows it's going to be painful if he doesn't, he doesn't come along. There's a second aspect here, too, about unbelievers that we need to take note in the resistance. Not only do they resist because they don't know Him, they resist because they don't respect Him. Now, at the end of verse 9, after Pharaoh says, look, you get back to your burdens, and I'm going to ratchet it up more, he says in verse 9, let heavier work be laid upon these, on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. Lying words, that's all he thought of what Moses had to say in the courtroom. They're just, these are just empty words. These are lying words. These ideas leave an absence of hope, is what he's saying, because they mean nothing. But for Israel, they were hopeful. Pharaoh didn't respect these words. He didn't believe them at all. And in his world, might makes right. And it says in verse 6, the very same day that he he received this information, he then commanded down the line and said, look, we're going to make the burdens heavier for everyone, and we're going to stamp out this hope that you think that you're going to walk out of here and just worship your God the way you want to worship Him. It's intended to break the spirit of the people. They don't respect it. You know, I, 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 I see in our county a rising disrespect for the word of the Lord even today in our own county. You know, in Wayne County Library, there is an LGBTQ reading nook in the youth room now. You know what? All of that is designed to wear down and discourage God's people. If you want to have an educational program that will actively promote truth of God's Word, then you're going to need to fund it on your own, folks. You're going to have to homeschool. You're going to have to… It may seem absolutely impossible. As taxes and inflation rise, there's less straw, there's less bricks to make. 
And our world is working against us right now to discourage us to think that perhaps uh, they don't have any respect for the Word of the Lord. That's difficult. And we, live, we need to know the day in which we're living. And we need to have wisdom about that. But we need to confidently assert, thus says the Lord, and not to grow weary. I know it's designed to distress us. But this distress is due to an absence of the Lord's Word being proclaimed around us. In verse 10 through 19, sometimes we have the fullness of God's Word, sometimes we don't have all the information that we would want. And in verses 10 through 19, we see, we see um, the command, the edict goes out from Pharaoh. There is something calculated going on here. Pharaoh doesn't tell the whole nation everything that's happening, and he does so. He drips feed just enough information out to cause people to grow anxious, to grow weary, and furthermore, there seems to be an absence from God in terms of why is this happening, and it creates a vice upon people's minds and puts them into great distress. Now, verse 10 through uh, 19, we see an absence of the Lord's Word specifically about why Pharaoh is acting in the way he is acting. Uh, but, nevertheless, what happens is somewhat predictable because there is a, we've experienced difficulty in the world we live because we don't often have the explanation that we want. Circumstances change. Life gets harder. Why is it getting harder? Sometimes we don't always have the answers we want and we want the why, and we have communication coming down the, down the chain. We have taskmasters who are engaging with the, um, the foreman of the Israelites, and I'm going to par- try to put this in a more of a modern context because I think the parallel is distinctly there. If you've ever worked in a union shop, you've got a union foreman who interacts with the management, and the management communicates to the union leader, and then the union leader has to go out and tell the troops what they're supposed to do. And so, because of this, there is, there is a, a, a bottleneck of information, and it becomes difficult for the people on the ground to put up with the fact that they don't have the straw to make the bricks that they used to. Now, straw was a binding agent. It was, uh, it, it was much more easily uh, as a binding agent, it was easier to work with because other options were not as exciting to use, like animal dung was something that could be used. Uh, chaff that could also be used, but it was much more uh, fibrous. It was not as thick like straw was. And uh, sometimes we have in our minds the, 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 the old Ten Commandments, you know, where the, um, the taskmaster is whipping the, the Israelite who's fallen into the mud because he can't keep up. That's actually not quite how it occurred. The ones who got whipped were actually the foremen. It was the, the leaders, the, the union leaders, so to speak, were getting whipped because those who were working under them couldn't keep up. And it's remarkable here that these union leaders were beaten, and it's actually kind of what Nazi Germany did in, in Europe 60, 70 years ago. They recruited Jews to negotiate and move other Jews 
into the Warsaw ghettos. They didn't dirty themselves. With that, they had Jews themselves lead them into captivity. What has changed? Why do we have, why do we have, why is this going on? Well, the people on the ground don't have all the answers, and they're getting distressed. There's also difficulty that if it doesn't, we don't have explanation, it can also divide people. In verses 15 to 21, uh, the union leaders go into Pharaoh's courtroom and say, look, what's going on? This is not the way it used to be. And it ends up being a, sh- a shouting match, and you have uh, the, the, the union leaders are saying, we've got no straw, what, what, we, we need straw to make these bricks, and Pharaoh looks up and says, look, you're idle, you're just being idle. You see, did you know that, Pharaoh, that uh, Moses came in here and said, you know, you need some time off? You want to leave and you go on to go worship? I believe that there was a miscommunication there, and down the line, some of these folks didn't know what was really happening. They saw their circumstances change and having to adjust to it, and they didn't have the fullness of information, but now they know who to blame. They know who to blame now. And it's utter senselessness, but yet they feel like they're trapped underneath of the machine, and now they know, and in their great distress, they know who to blame, and they walk out, and they see Moses and Aaron, and in verse 21 it says, this is the words that they throw at Moses. They say, the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us to stink in the sight of Pharaoh, and his servants have put a sword in our hands to kill us. What's going on? You see, Pharaoh doesn't have to denounce Moses. The people do it for him. It is so diabolical. Divide the slaves against one another into factions and so inner inner, inner discontent, all that's of the devil. And Pharaoh had held back the reason for the change. But why did Moses do so? Why did Moses not warn them that this would be difficult. Moses, I do believe, didn't quite see this coming himself. But he should have seen it coming. Notice how grieved Moses is. In verse 22, Moses turns to the Lord and says, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, and he's done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. At all. See, Moses is discouraged because his expectations are out of line. God had told him that Pharaoh would not believe. Even though God had not told him the specifics of, okay, what would the reaction of Pharaoh be like, he had been told that Pharaoh wouldn't take it well. He had enough to go on, even though he had forgotten the Lord's word, he had enough that he could have said to the group around him, look, 
I know it looks bleak. I know it's difficult. But this is what the Lord told me in the mountain. He said, you would believe, and I am so thankful that you believe. But then he also told me that Pharaoh wouldn't believe. So this is a part of the plan. You don't have to be discouraged. But instead, Moses himself forgets. In verse, chapter 3, verse 19, Moses had heard this word, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. That word know is an important word. It's the exact same word that Pharaoh used when he said, I don't know your God. Here, Yahweh is saying, I know Pharaoh. I know Pharaoh in ways that you don't know Pharaoh. I've titled this whole series, God Knows. And I believe it was a more mature Moses who took the time to narrate these events for us. Because when we got to the end of chapter 2, verse 25, Moses said, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. God knew. And I think this is the most important takeaway truth that we can take from this whole series is that the Lord knows everything even before they occur. He is sovereign Lord over all. We grow discouraged because we forget the word of the Lord, but we often forget that it is the Lord who knows everything. He knows everything that's going on. And as circumstances change in a moment and inflation rockets out of control, this doesn't catch God by surprise. He knows what's happening. And all kinds of circumstances can break our hearts and get us discouraged. We can have job loss. We can have financial strain. We can have poverty. We can have regrets about what we did when we were younger, or we can have guilt and we can have unfulfilled expectations show up. You know, we live in one of the most prosperous nations in the world, but we so often block out what God says because we substitute wealth for the glories of our great God. The Lord knows everything. He knows when things rise and fall. Even though He doesn't tell you everything that He knows, He still knows. And I want to encourage us, though, we are never, ever outside of His knowing. Moses, when he came to the end of his life, he told Joshua, be strong and courageous. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will leave, never leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. I believe what 
Moses says there is that the Lord is going before you means it's not just that He's physically before you like a shield. I believe what Moses is saying, look, the Lord knows everything you're going to experience. He has gone before you, and He knows what you're going to experience. See, Moses may have forgotten the word of the Lord in the mountain, but the Lord had not forgotten His word. I see the words of Revelation 22, verse 12 to 13 as incredibly, strikingly important for us to keep in mind. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and I am the Omega, the first and last, the beginning and the end. If he is the beginning and the end, then he knows everything. And when David and his men arrived in Ziklag, and they saw that column of smoke going up, and they wept themselves until they, they could weep no more. Do you know what David did? The very next words say, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. See, when discouragement sets in, we need to take the time to strengthen ourselves in God's Word. Moses may not have been listening when God was speaking in the mountain. Maybe he hardened his heart. I think back to my own childhood. There are times when I wasn't listening, but those who were speaking into my life were telling me, the truth of God's Word. Pharaoh will resist. That's what God had said. Hey, Pharaoh's going to resist you, but don't worry. I am going to overcome Pharaoh. And I see in this also the words, I think maybe we ought to like inscribe these words in, in, in our homes I think this is a, a verse that you should probably put on your phone on the, on, the, on the screen that opens up so you never forget this. I know a lot of us will turn to Facebook, so maybe take the header and change it to this verse so you never forget this. Jesus said this, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We do live in a prosperous country, and that will cause us to forget God's Word. This world wants us to have our best life now. And so when trouble comes, we get, we are lost. It's like we don't know what to do because the God of this world is telling us that it will be okay. Everything will be fine. Jesus said, no, you're going to have troubles in this world, but don't let that bother you because I have overcome the world. Let's pray.